Morning, everyone. Happy Lord's Day to you. We're thankful for your presence today. It is a special Lord's Day this, this uh, Sunday. Every Sunday is a special day because it is the Lord's Day. But even among those special days uh, that we have, 52, sometimes 53, of which God sets aside for us to worship Him, among those, today is considered, I would consider today, a special day. I hope you will as well. Because what happened today, what has taken place today, and is being made official and so forth for public record, uh, is a man has been added to the eldership. That is a particular thing that is important to this local congregation, but even, I would argue, kingdom-wide, all over the world, it is a special thing. It's a special thing when a person becomes a Christian. Even if the only people who are aware of it are just the people around that local congregation, two, three, four hundred people who will be aware of it and who will rejoice, we are told, according to Luke 15, that rejoicing takes place in heaven. And whenever that word spreads, thanks to the the one good thing about social media is we can share news like that. It spreads far and wide and all over the world, brethren rejoice because someone has obeyed the gospel. It should be just as much a cause of celebration when a person is added to the eldership, when a bishop is appointed to that role to begin his life of service that he will occupy for as long as he has that role. It is a special thing to be an elder in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's a special thing to be a preacher. It's a special thing to be a deacon. special thing to be a Bible class teacher or a church secretary or just a person who is here every Sunday who smiles at people when they're walking down the aisle. It's a special thing to be a Christian. But I don't want to underplay the significance of being an elder in the kingdom. It's a special thing. Because we talked about this, uh, it was a few months ago on Sunday night, we were talking about women's role and um, the heresy of women leadership in the kingdom of Christ and all of that. Uh, and it just kind of came up naturally as a result of that, talking about elders, because there are congregations, there are congregations who might call themselves churches of Christ even, uh, and I wish they wouldn't anymore, but they would call themselves that, and they have appointed women in this role that we're talking about this morning, women to be elders or bishops or whatever you want to call them. Uh, your Bible gives you qualifications and credentials, and that's, it's simply not allowed, as we'll get to as we go to this uh, text that we're going to study this morning. But as a result of that, I say all that to say this. Because God has been so particular, because God cares so much about it, it is an important and special thing when a man occupies that role. And that is not... It is not a thing for us to look at with begrudging eyes, but rather with respectful eyes. It's not a thing to look at as um, someone is a boss and therefore we have to be disrespectful to our bosses. That's a cultural, worldly thing. Rather, we should see it as a burden that they are bearing. We should see it as an act of service they are undertaking. And therefore, it is deserving of our respect, our prayers, our appreciation, and every other positive attribute that you can think of that goes to people who serve in the military, or people who work in public service, or firefighters, or police officers, people who do good work for the world. We're talking this morning about people who do good work for the kingdom of Christ that transcends this world. It needs to be appreciated, because it's not an easy job. I don't know that by experience. I know that by observation. It's not an easy job, and they deserve our respect. And so it's a special thing when someone who A, is qualified, and B, Despite the hardships of the work, I am prepared, ready, willing, and able to take on that service. It's a special thing when they do so. Let me kind of reset, all right? Having said all that as pre-introduction, I think it is important. I don't just think it's important. I know it's important for us to do Bible things in Bible ways. 
I think it's very important. I know it's important for us to call Bible things by Bible names. The um, thrust behind this sermon, the, the target audience for this, is those of you who perhaps have never seen a man be added to the eldership. Or, or you're, you're a brand new Christian, and, or you are a, a visitor, perhaps even, and you, this is a new experience for you. I'm sorry that we're not getting your, quote, traditional kind of sermon. We're not going to look at a parable and break it down three points, have a little uh, poem at the end of it and, uh, and an invitation song. It's not going to flow quite like that. It's a little bit more uh, textbooky. It's a little bit more encyclopedic because of the nature of what's going on, because of the nature of what has happened. We need to break it down in the Bible encyclopedic way. Your Bible does sometimes just give you the list, and it's important for us just to know the list. And so that's what we're going to do. And the reason we're going to do it is because the axiom is true. We should do Bible things in Bible ways. We don't make up the rules for who gets added to the eldership. We should call Bible things by Bible names. We don't get to decide who is and who isn't an elder or who should and shouldn't be an elder or even what we should call those who are in that office. Let's start there, in fact, with the names in question. What are the Bible names? There really is no one particular title. There are those that we might favor, but there are multiple different descriptors given to the one who occupies this office. First, there's elder. That's maybe the most commonly used one in our um, 21st century Western Hemisphere uh, kingdom area. We use this word quite often, elder. And it is a biblical one to use. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, Peter says, who also am an elder. That is not Peter just saying, you old people, I encourage, because I'm also an old guy. By the time Peter wrote this, he was indeed an old person, as you might want to reckon that term. But that's not just what he's talking about. Because we're talking about a person who occupies a qualified role, who occupies a role with qualifications that designate them as this kind of person. But those qualifications speak to a person who fits that word, who fits that term of basically being that wise old man. That person who, it used to be a favored and respected member of society. Not necessarily just an elder of the church, though that was also the case too. But just this, back in the day in an older era of our culture when if you didn't know something, there was usually some old guy whittling something in a rocking chair on his porch and you could walk up to them and they might even know your name and they could help you with what you didn't know. It used to be we respected older people because we understood they've lived a long time, seen a lot of things, have learned a lot of things, more than I have seen and learned, and I might not know everything, so I might want to ask them and they can impart their experienced wisdom to me. There is a Bible-qualified person who fits that role. And we call them elder. It's not the only word, though. It's not the only name, if you want to use that word, either. There's also the word bishop. This, this is still a Bible authoritative word. It is a word that has been latched onto by religious denominations and religious bodies to refer to various people who don't necessarily meet these qualifications we're talking about. But just because other people use that does not disqualify us from being allowed to use it because it is a biblical name. And these men who occupy that role rightly could be called and should be called bishops. Look for the Bible of it in Philippians 1.1. There at the beginning of the letter to the church at Philippi. Paul introduces himself along with Timothy who is with him. The servants of Jesus Christ, they are. Notice that descriptor there. They call themselves, though he's an apostle and Timothy is a preacher. They fit both together in the same category, just servants of Christ Jesus. And they write to all the saints who are at Philippi with the two groups of people there. Not just the saints, not just the brethren, but among those brethren, the deacons. A word which means servants. But we're all servants. Yes, this is a servant who meets qualifications to wear a title. And the bishops. 
the authoritative ones, because that's what the word means, a person who occupies a role of authority. These are not just wise old men who've learned a lot that you might could listen to every now and then and get some wisdom from. Sure, they are. But these are men who have a position of qualified authority. It's a specific kind of authority. It is exercised in a specific kind of godly biblical way, but nevertheless, it is authoritative. So that means we don't get to say, I don't have to do that because you're not the boss of me. If what they're telling you to do is biblical and authoritative, then they occupy the role to do that. And so you must obey them or you're disobeying the Christ who put them in that position. Ultimately, bishop, they are rightly called. That's not the only word. There's also pastor. A word which I'm sure you know means shepherd. So I'll give you the little uh, summary of that a different way in just a second. But this is another word that denominations and other religious bodies have latched onto and applied and um, applied it to people who don't necessarily fit the qualifications. I am a preacher. I am not a pastor. I may have certain qualities as a dad or even as a minister that seem pastoral-like, but according to the biblical qualifications of this particular office, I am not, don't call me a pastor. And when someone rings the church building on a Tuesday when Margaret's not here, and so we all have to answer the phone and realize how hard her job is, we have to talk to people, and someone calls the church building, and they want to talk to the pastor, with great glee will I say, pastor's not here, and then I'll give them one of the elders' numbers to call and bother them. Because I'm not a pastor. The word means shepherd. It's a biblically qualified kind of shepherd. It's a biblically authoritative person who gets to be a biblical pastor. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 11. And in the context here, Paul is talking about various roles that you may occupy in the kingdom of Christ. Uh, For example, he gave some to occupy the role of apostles. None of us here. Paul was one of them, and Peter and James and John. They occupy the role of apostles. Some occupy the role of prophets, a forth teller of the word of God. Some evangelists, a, a preacher of the good news to the lost. Some pastors, that's our word, and some teachers. Some who just clarify and make sense of the word of God to those who don't know it. But among that list, he gives some to be pastors. Some who have this role to be a shepherd of a flock. Gentle guides to stubborn sheep. Because if you've ever just um, observed sheep, sheep are dumb animals. Sheep are stubborn animals, and that's a dangerous combination. And if you've ever been around brethren long enough, if you've gone in ministry before, or if you've been a deacon or an elder, or if you're just a Christian who's been a Christian a long time, you realize how apt it is to describe us as sheep. Because we are sometimes very dumb and very stubborn, and it's a dangerous combination. We are sheep. Christ is our ultimate big capital S good shepherd. But he's up there, and I need someone down here a little bit closer to home giving me more direct, specific, verbal guidance. We have pastors who do that. We have elders who occupy that role. With a gentle hand, they will steer us toward the master. Sometimes they'll whack us with a cane with a more firm hand. But generally speaking, they give us that guidance with gentleness. That's a biblically qualified person who is allowed to do that. Last one, and that's overseer. Acts 20, 28. Paul is with the men who occupy this role over the church at Ephesus. He's about to depart from them. He's leaving them some parting words. And he gives them almost words of warning. He says, take heed unto yourselves. He's talking to these overseers. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. 
who appoints them, them as elders. Not in the, uh, you know, who, who lays out the qualifications and, and, you know, preaches the word to them. But, I mean, who is the ultimate person responsible for making that person an elder or a bishop? Who gave them the authority? I didn't give them the authority. None of you gave them the authority. You might have been under the mistaken impression for the past two weeks when we first announced Tommy Womack uh, is going to rejoin the eldership, assuming nobody has any objections. You may have thought that meant, oh, so I get to vote on Tommy Womack to be an elder or not. Well, I vote yes or I vote no. Your vote does not matter. You don't get a vote. This is Bible, not democracy. It's an absolute monarchy. We don't get a vote here. Christ has established the credentials. Christ has laid down through the Holy Spirit of inspiration the qualifications The Holy Spirit has made these men overseers, which means when I argue with them, I'm arguing with God. So I better make sure when I'm arguing with them that I've got God on my side because they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're not always going to be exactly right with this. So I want to make sure, I want to make sure that if I'm going to argue with them, God's with me because he's the one who put them there. God made them overseers. And Paul tells them, the Holy Spirit made you overseers, feed the church of God. As shepherds feed a flock. Feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He made you the ones who look over. He made you the ones who look after. He made you be the ones who care for sheep that don't belong to you. Your pastors, your shepherds of sheep that aren't yours. Your overseers with authority that has been delegated to you. Your wise old men who we go to for counsel, but you don't know everything Christ does. Christ is the ultimate authority. Christ is the good shepherd. Christ owns me. You don't own me. You gentlemen, you eight gentlemen who are now my shepherds, you don't own me. Christ does. But you fit an occupied, authoritative, qualified role to look after me on Christ's behalf. If that doesn't make you sober and pause and reflect and pray all the time for me and for you in your work, you eight gentlemen, I don't know what else does. And if that, for the rest of us, doesn't make us want to pray for them, considering how they have a shared, in some small way, a, a, uh, a shared, um, uh, well, there's a word that just left me, responsibility, we'll just say, over my soul, that's something that I need to pray for them for. Because they have taken it upon themselves to bear the burden of making sure that I go to heaven. At the end of the day, it's me. I have to make sure I get to heaven. But your Bible tells them that they are overseers of sheep that don't belong to them. They belong to Christ. And Christ put them there to help me get to heaven. If they don't do their job, if they don't try to help me get to heaven, then they fail their work. And they will have to give an account for that. This is not a perk. This is not a pleasure. This is not a cushy job. They're not sitting on thrones. They're on their knees praying constantly for you. And thus we should for them as well because they are stewards the word at the bottom there says they are people who are in charge of looking after something that doesn't belong to them now let's get into the qualifications it was read to us from titus 1 a lot of titus and first timothy 3 where i'd invite you to turn now first timothy 3 and titus a lot of it overlaps i'm going to spend most of our time in first timothy 3 we're going to get about six or seven into these and you're going to think these just keep going they do keep going there's a lot of qualifications you know what that tells you God cares about who is in that office. God cares about who occupies that position. It should not be something we take lightly. Look at the qualifications according to your Bible. Let's start in 1 Timothy 3. Let's begin in verse 1 with the idea of a desire. Even though you could quibble with this, and I would probably be right there with you, it's not technically a qualification, but it certainly is a prerequisite to the qualifications. Because if you meet all the qualifications but you don't want to do the job, 
I would discourage you from doing the job. But even in, the, in that case, while I'm discouraging you to take the position if you don't want it, I would be immediately starting to encourage you to find the love for this task. I would immediately start encouraging that prospective elder to start falling in love with the idea of serving the kingdom of Christ in that way. It just, it just makes me feel kind of funny in a bad way when I see somebody who meets all the qualifications to serve in this capacity and they say, yeah, but I don't want to serve. Like, there should never be a scenario in the kingdom of Christ where a Christian should say, but I don't want to serve. Lord, make me a servant. You all sang it 10 minutes ago. You can't sing it and not mean it. So if you meet the qualifications, you should be serving. So if desire is not on the plate for you, my job is to start making it look appealing and appetizing to you. So as a prerequisite, you should have this desire. You should have this readiness to jump in and start serving. Now, to dig into the qualifications, there's several of them listed in 1 Timothy 3.2. A bishop must be, first up, blameless. A bishop is not told to be perfect. A bishop is not said to, they must be sinless. A bishop must be blameless. Let's use that word to mean penitent. Because what is blamelessness? Literally, the word means you don't have an outstanding accusation against you. Nobody can come up and say, that person should not be qualified because that person did this thing and hasn't repented of it, hasn't made it right, hasn't taken steps to correct it so it doesn't happen again. Because that kind of person that you're describing, if they have taken those steps, if they have repented, if they are making it right, that kind of person is a penitent person. That kind of person is a Christian. That's all of us. And nowhere is an, is an elder or an elder to be supposed to be held to a higher standard spiritually than the rest of us. Because we're all, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all fallible. But a bishop in particular must take care that he is blameless. So that when he does, not if, but when he does something wrong, he takes the necessary steps to correct it. And in so doing, by making those corrections, he, as his job is, he sets an example for the rest of us to see, my shepherd made a mistake. When I make a mistake, what did he do? He publicly corrected it and continued his Christian path. That's what I need to do too. That's a leader. Leader's not infallible. That's Christ. For the rest of us, it's fallible but blameless. Oh, I'm skipping one. Sorry must be the husband of one wife. In other words, faithfully married to his wife. Some of these are going to be super simple. I'm just going to say them and move on because there's not much to add to this. A single man is not qualified. A gay man is not qualified. A woman is not qualified. But a faithful husband is qualified. Faithfully married to his wife. He must be vigilant. The word means disciplined. It is somebody who has it together. This is not somebody who you never know where they stand on an issue. This is not somebody who seems to fly by the seat of their pants, who you can't count on, who it loves to throw monkey wrenches when things like they've all settled down, we all have come to a consensus, and then he says, yeah, but what about? And everything just gets thrown in the air. That's not a disciplined kind of person. It's someone who has things put together. You know, they're on time, and they're, they're faithful, and they're reliable. That, those are qualities you look for in a leader. Naturally, the Holy Spirit puts them here. Sober means clear-minded clear-headed there's a lot of ways to ensure your sobriety but i don't want you to narrow this down to just uh, uh, depravity of alcohol we'll get to alcohol in a second but this word just simply means they're clear-headed they're able to think clearly what's going on and, and therefore be allowed to reason out a problem and, and figure out a, a good solution to it so of good behavior again some of these are some of these we should all be doing well-mannered they're not a jerk they have good manners they're kind they're approachable they're nice people good behavior, hospitable, welcoming to strangers, 
somebody that someone who's not used to them doesn't mind approaching. And they don't mind approaching them to invite them and to welcome them and to give them a kindness so that when they do meet these strangers and these strangers later find out, oh, this is one of your leaders. Oh, that makes sense because they were so hospitable. Next, apt to teach. Doesn't mean when you teach, your class says, wow, that'd be great. That'd be bonus. It just means you're willing and you're able to get up on the stage and tell us what you know. Because if you don't know anything, then, then you're not a wise old man in the room. But you have put in the study, you do know some things, and you are willing to impart what you know. If you're not willing to impart what you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that kind of selfishness is, disqualifies you right off the bat. But if you know what you know, and you're willing to impart what you know, and you're willing to get up there and face the crowd and deliver what you know, then that's apt to teach. And that's a qualification. Go to the next verse. Not given to wine, not a drunkard. Because there is nothing more obviously disqualifying. There's nothing more obvious to say this person does not have it together, is not with it, is not capable of leading himself, much less anything, if he cannot control himself in such a way as to avoid alcohol. Not given to wine. No striker. There's going to be two that seem like they're saying the same thing, but they're actually saying very different things. They're, they're relatable, obviously, but these are two different qualifications. No striker is just a person who practices nonviolence as a Christian concept, who Christians look to resolve disputes, not end disputes, end in capital letters. Christians who look to mediate peace between people, not pick a side and gang up and try to overpower and tactical warfare and all that kind of stuff. No, your attitude is not to be a striker. It sounds like a violent one. The next one we'll get to later is about actual engaging in violence. This is more of the mentality that wouldn't, would not lead you to engaging in violence. Not a greedy person, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul says to Timothy later in this text. Well, here, not a greedy person, not someone in love with money who would just set, plant the seed for them to become corrupted by the devil. Not a brawler. This is an actual resolver of disputes. This is an actual taking the action to mitigate peace. A peacemaker, which Jesus says is blessed in the Sermon on the Mount. Not a covetous person. Well, what is the opposite of covetousness? Philippians 4, contentment. Your elders are not going to be the wealthiest members of the congregation. They may be, but that's just by happenstance. They're not, and it's not necessary. They may be necessarily, perhaps, the poorest. May, maybe not, but they may be. But it doesn't matter is the point. They can counsel and they can shepherd and they can guide as the poorest, the richest. And perhaps if they are the most wealthy, they can still counsel and guide and shepherd the poorest. Because their attitude is, whatever I have has been given to me by God, it's irrelevant to going to heaven. And so they can counsel, shepherd, guide, lead authoritatively control um, the spiritual actions of their flock regardless of what they have because they are content, not covetous. It just, it just keeps going. There's a long list because the Holy Spirit thinks it's important. 1 Timothy 3, 4, one who rules his own house. These two we're going to put right next to each other. A good, faithful elder is one who is a good, faithful dad with good, faithful children. When you go to the Titus text, which we're not going to elaborate on in great detail, that'll be the next time we do one of these sermons. The Titus text, he goes into more specifics about being a, a, a father of faithful Christian children. But just in general, you're a good faithful dad of good faithful children, not a novice. A word which can have a lot of different meanings depending on how you use it in a secular field. Are you talking about somebody who is a brand new Christian? That's the common application of it. Are you talking about someone who is just not a young person? Well, if they're an elder, then being a young person seems to disqualify them, right? It's right there in the meaning of the word. But I think it's a little combination of everything you think of when you think of a novice. This is not somebody who, when you look at it, you think, I should be taking orders from this person, or I should be taking advice from this person. 
This person is so young and so inexperienced. This person who, who clearly has, has not figured out things yet to tell me, that's a novice. It's a big red flag. If somebody is so desirous of the eldership, though they have that occupation, uh, that, that position as being a novice, and yet they really, really want that position, that should be a red flag that maybe they want it for the wrong reason, which is probably why the very next thing Paul says is not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Because what happens to a young person who is thrust in a leadership position? Very frequently, it goes to their head. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't know if that's absolutely the correct way to phrase that. I tend to think absolute, or power doesn't uh, corrupt, power reveals. Because there, there are good people who hold positions of power who were not corrupted by it. Peter and Paul and James and John. Apostles are among them. Your master in heaven was never corrupted by the power that was inherent within him. Power reveals. It gives you the opportunity to show who you really are without any reason to hide yourself. So be wary of appointing a novice to that position because pride may take over and they could become corrupted or they could reveal that they're not ready for the position. Someone who has a good report of those without. You might think this is a strange qualification because who cares what the lost think? They're not the ones who are being shepherded here. They're, they're lost sheep. They're not found sheep. But it should matter to some extent. Because if you say, this person is one of our shepherds, this person is one of our elders, and some lost person who presumably you're trying to reach, who you're trying to bring to the gospel to, they say, that guy? I know that guy. I can't believe that guy. Now maybe they have a half a picture of that guy. But if their first response is, that guy's an elder, that should be a red flag. Because the, one of the qualifications is, is someone who has a good reputation of those who are, my Bible says, without, that word means outside the spiritual body, not just these four walls. Other brethren must respect them too. Presumably they will. But it's a red flag. If the lost, who don't have the kind of um, favorable bias that we're going to have, we're, we're going to give each other, I would hope, 10,000 second chances. The lost will not. And so if the lost's first impression of that person is, I can't believe that guy's a shepherd there. I can't believe you call that guy an elder there. That should be a red flag. It should, if nothing else, it should give that one who is on the, the docket pause to maybe get some things in order first and work, work on his reputation before he steps into the role. If I could summarize all of the credentials and qualifications that are listed here, here would be my one sentence summary. Now, when I say this to you, I don't want you to take away from that, oh, it doesn't matter in particular that he has his children in subjection or that he's hospitable. All of those are what the Holy Spirit has given you. That's inspired. Every one of those, every one of those must be met or you're not qualified, okay? But just to summarize what they're basically saying here, all they're basically saying is you must be a faithful Christian husband and father. That's the gist of it. If you just be a faithful Christian husband and father, you're 90% there, being an elder. In other words, these men who occupy that role are not supermen. They're not super Christians. They're not, oh, they, they are so high above me. No. Don't give them the mistake some religious people do and, and hold bishops at higher esteem and almost de facto worship them. No. These are Christian men. These are just faithful Christian husbands and fathers. These are the kinds of people God is looking for to help shepherd his flock to get them to heaven. I want to add one more qualification to this list before we move on and start to wrap it up. And that's the one found in Titus 1.9. Toward the end of that list of qualifications, Paul talks about how the, the job of an elder, after he meets those qualifications, why he meets those qualifications, why they're so important, it's because when you exercise that role, when you do that job, you're really accomplishing two things. You're teaching sound doctrine and you're um, uh, rebuking the gainsayer. You're rebuking the false teacher. 
So your job, among other things, is to encourage brethren to stay faithful, to identify wolves in the sheepfold, to find those who are trying to lead the sheep away and to go after them. David killed Goliath. I'm sure that was very impressive. But long before he ever killed Goliath, David fought a bear. David fought a lion. David fought no doubt how many wolves. David was willing to take on wild animals that could have ripped him limb from limb. Why? Because they threatened his sheep. Your shepherds, though they're nonviolent, though they are peacemakers, have a spiritual mentality of I will fight for the sheep because I, I have some sense of ownership over their journey to heaven. And so they're going to make sure, by obligation, their service is to make sure that you're not being falsely taught, that you're not being led astray. That doesn't just mean they're going to hold me accountable or Alex accountable or Sean accountable, the, the official men who wear the title preacher. It means they're going to make sure anybody who teaches anything, anybody who leads any song, anybody who leads any prayer, anybody who does anything that guides people spiritually, that it is sound doctrine. And when it's not, they're going to be the ones who step up and say, you ought not teach that anymore. And here's 10 verses why. That's the role they occupy. It's not a perky, cushy job. It's the role of a servant to be a leader. Now, you may have questions. As I start at the beginning of this, maybe you've never seen this before. You don't know why I'm up here talking about this. We're going on 25, coming up to 35. I promise where I'm done minutes. You're wondering, why are we going to spend all this trouble into this? I don't understand this. I have questions. Well, I can't. I'm not calling on your names. Maybe I can anticipate some of your questions. Maybe you want to know, how are elders chosen? For, or Titus 1.5. Closest verse I can give you to explain this. Paul tells the preacher, Titus, to appoint elders in every city. It is, among other things, the job of the preacher to appoint elders. What does that look like? Well, what is the job of a preacher to do but to preach? What am I doing right now? I'm preaching the Holy Spirit's credentials for what makes a man an elder. That's me appointing an elder. Tommy Womack is a member of the eldership now. There was no grandiose ceremony. We didn't dump oil on his head. We didn't have a big, you know, we're going to have a, a picnic later. I'm sorry, Tommy, it wasn't, it's not for you. That's not what that is. It's, it doesn't have to be like that. But my job as a preacher is to make sure that those qualifications are known so that you all who have Bibles in your hands can hold them accountable to make sure they live up to those qualifications too. That's my job. If I don't preach the word, if I preach, well, I think an elder could be this. That's okay. You don't have to do that. Now I'm changing the word of God. Now my soul's in jeopardy. So my job is to appoint elders. How? By preaching the qualifications. What authority does an elder have? None. An elder has no authority. An eldership has authority. A bishop has no authority. Despite the meaning of the word, a bishopric has authority. A presbyter has no authority. The presbytery has the authority. The pastoral council has authority, not the pastor. One elder doesn't have authority. One guy doesn't get to make the rules unless your name is Jesus. He made the rules. And then he appointed elders in the plurality to oversee a congregation. And they do that respective of themselves. They lock themselves in their office room and they work out how they best shepherd the flock. But one does not unilaterally speak for the whole. And when that happens, it's condemned in Scripture, most famously with Diotrephes in 3 John 9, one who tried to take preeminence over the rest and try to lord over a congregation. John said, uh-uh, that ain't Bible. Next question you may have, does an eldership have authority? Or let's phrase that another way, how does an eldership exercise their authority? You might have heard it said, and I would very much disagree with it, elders oversee or elders give authority in the realm of opinion. No, no. 
an elder's opinion, an eldership's opinion, my opinion, your opinion. Everybody has one. None of them matter. I'm sorry to burst your bubble if you think yours does. Nobody's opinion matters. That's why they're called opinions. Elders don't get to rule in the matter of opinion. An elder doesn't, an eldership does not get the right to say the carpet needs to be, I don't even know what you call this color, but let's pretend it's a real color, red. They don't get to say it has to be red. We, it, it is sinful if it's blue. They could decide that it's red, and that's fine. It doesn't matter. But they don't get to say, it must be this, and you're wrong if you say it is. Or the bricks must stay unpainted, and if we ever paint them, that's sinful. No, they don't get to define what sin is. That's just their opinion if they don't like it. And that's just your opinion, man. You're an eldership, but you don't get to make laws out of opinions. That ain't Bible. An eldership does rule, however, in the realm of expediency. Best example, you're here right now. First day of the week. Why? Did an eldership tell you to meet on the first day of the week? No, Jesus Christ and his apostles told you to meet on the first day of the week. That's why you're here. That's the command. You got here, hopefully at 9 o'clock for Bible class. If not, make that a priority. Let's say you got here at 10 o'clock for worship. You got here at 10 o'clock for worship. Why? Where did Jesus say 10 o'clock? Where did Peter, Paul, or Mary, or anybody else say 10 o'clock? They didn't say 10 o'clock. Your elders said 10 o'clock. They took the command given to all of us, which is a symbol on the first day, and they expedited that command by saying, since we're going to meet by authority, we're all going to meet at 10 o'clock. Don't be late. So they rule in the realm of expediency. They, that's their job. That's their way of carrying out the commands of God and leading us through the commands of God to get to heaven someday. That's what a shepherd does. So obey them. Do they have authority? Yes, submit to that authority as it is exercised biblically expeditedly is an elder an elder for life you'd be surprised how often this question comes up in various ways and circumstances the very fact that there are qualifications implies an elder is not an elder for life this is not a supreme court justice and probably they shouldn't be for life either this is not a supreme court justice where once they're in they're locked in because then it's very easy for that to become a thing which corrupts and leads someone astray if an elder must be, then if an elder ever stops being what they must be, then they should stop being qualified. That's just what the Bible says by implication. So no, not for life. In fact, we have many good elders who step down and continue serving in the kingdom in their own particular ways because they realize, hey, I, I can't do this the way I could do it anymore. It'd be better for the kingdom if I stop for a while or completely. As I close, I want you all to open your Bibles to Hebrews 13 i got four points in three verses. I'm going to rattle them off shotgun-style lightning round because we're looking for qualities, right? Whenever you're talking about this person being added to the eldership, it doesn't matter that Tommy was an elder for a long time and stepped down for a little while, and now he's back in. It, he stepped down. Now he's back in, which means today a man is being added to the eldership. It may be in a year or two years or, or soon after. I don't know. I, we don't have a timetable. We may add more people to the eldership. And you start thinking about that. Whenever something like this happens, you, just, you start looking around and saying, who might be a next person to be an elder? You should all be doing that. So what kind of qualities are you looking for in a person? Not the qualifications, but what kind of people do you want to serve under? Let me give you, according to Hebrews text, the qualities to look for. It is men who deserve your support. Look at the end of Hebrews 13, 7. Paul says, remember them that have the rule over you, who've spoken to you the word of God, whose faith you should be following, considering the end of their conversation. These are men who are living so faithfully that you feel comfortable walking behind them on the road to heaven you're still going to double-check the work. Okay, you're still going to have your Bible open to make sure they're not accidentally or purposefully leading you astray. But they are men who have proven themselves over years of experience, over years of Christian life, to be someone whose faith you can follow. So that's someone who deserves your support. Keep it up. Keep going. You can...
do it. That's just not what an elder says to us. That's what we should be saying to our elders. Keep it up. You can do it. Keep going. You're almost leading us there. We're almost there to eternal life someday. Men who deserve your support. That's the quality to look for. Jump down 10 verses to verse 17. They're men who deserve your service. Just look at the beginning of that text. Paul doesn't just say, listen to them every now and then. Paul doesn't say, if it's good advice, take it. Paul says, obey them. They will make rules. They will expedite the commands of God. How they see best fall in line, church. When they expedite the commands of God as they see best, fall in line, church. And if you don't like it, you... It used to be we would say, if you don't like it, go find another congregation. But that's a terrible attitude. If you don't like it, don't be a Christian who runs to another congregation until you get mad there and leave somewhere else. Plant your feet and start being submissive. Plant your feet and be like Jesus Christ, who was a servant. You sang the song now 20 minutes ago, make me a servant. You don't get to sing that song and then say, well, I didn't like that command, so I'm going to go somewhere where the commands are more my style. No, obey them. Make yourself a servant. They deserve it. Stay in the same verse, go down. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. They deserve your submission. They deserve your following. They deserve you when they say, here's how we're going to do it, to say, then let's do it. My job, see, I and Alex and Sean and every preacher around the world, we get up on a stage and we bark for 25 to 35 minutes, and it, it, it seems like it creates this perception that we're the center of the congregation. We are not the center of the congregation. Your elders are not the center of the congregation. Jesus Christ is the center of the congregation. But beyond Jesus Christ, this stage, this podium, this uh, pulpit in which I am positioned, uh, in this earthly realm, it belongs to these shepherds. They are the ones who are commanded to feed the flock. How do they do that? By telling me to shovel it in your mouth. They give me the food and they say, here's what the brethren need. We've been watching them. We're their shepherds. We see their deficiencies. We see where they're lacking. Feed them this and I feed them that. And if I'm going to feed it to you, you're going to take it. And I'm going to have to swallow it first because I'm the one who writes it a week earlier. So we're going to start eating the food they give us. That's submission. I may not always like it. I may not always agree with it but I must submit. That's a Christian quality. Your elders have the burden of ensuring that I eat the food. i got to eat my broccoli sometimes. Last one. Go down to the end of Hebrews 13. Look at verse 24. Paul says, salute them. They're not in the military. You don't have to give them a formal salute. That's not what it means. If you were in the military and that's a sign of respect, then by all means. But what the word means is greet them affectionately. When you see your elders, know who they are, first of all. I, I don't want to poll but if I was to poll you could, you, could you all list all eight of your elders without cheating looking at the back of the newsletter? Do you know your elders? Do you know your shepherds? Do they know you? You better know each other so that when you see them, you can know, hey, that's one of my shepherds. I need to let them know, keep it up. When they see you, they know you're one of my sheep. I need to be telling you, keep it up. We need to be saluting. We need to be greeting warmly, affectionately, those men who occupy that role because it's not an easy job that they occupy. I'm going to offer the invitation, but I'd ask you please to bow with me in prayer first before we do. Please pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity we've had as you've commanded us to assemble here and worship, worship you and to sing praises to you. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we've had to open your word and to consider, in particular this morning, the qualifications for uh, what it means to be a, a godly spiritual shepherd over this particular flock here. We're thankful for Tommy for his willingness to step back into this role. We're thankful that he loved it so much that he eagerly uh, reclaimed that position uh, that he's qualified for. 
And we pray also for the other seven men who uh, occupy the role with him. And I say that sincerely, Father. We pray for them. We offer them up to you, name by name. And we ask you, Father, to look after them, to give them patience, to give them wisdom, to give them the fortitude to press on when, when we as the sheep make it hard on them. Help them, Father, to, with their life, best emulate you, our great shepherd of heaven. It's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. A lot of this just doesn't feel like it was for you. But what you've heard this morning, if you're not a Christian, is what kind of people will take it as their life's mission to help you get to heaven. You could start that journey by obeying the gospel. And then as soon as you do, the first ones in line to congratulate you will be your shepherds to guide your soul the rest of the way, to help you every step of the way to get to heaven someday. So if you're not a Christian, start that journey. Only you can obey the gospel. They can't obey it for you. But you can obey the gospel by believing its message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose for you. By repenting, putting your sins to death, burying them in a watery grave, rising to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6. If you'll do that, then they will congratulate you and they will start you on a path that will end with eternal bliss. If you are a Christian, but you've wandered away, let your shepherds and let all the rest of us too encircle you and encourage you and help put you back on the right path to heaven someday. If we can help you, let us know how right now. Please come as we stand and sing. And while I've got you on the phone, if you want to subscribe, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash Matthew-Martin 414. I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then. But for the most part, I put everything behind a massive giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of, I think it's 99 cents a month. So if you can, if you can manage that a dollar a month, <clears throat> that's, you know, it's not easy, but if you want to whip out a buck, then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals. So it's uh, anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, dash Martin 414, and hit subscribe for a buck, and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right, thank you.